Good evening and welcome to the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC on ESPN 30, Barboza versus Chikadze. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of SureDog.com. With me as usual is Keith Schillen. Keith is the executive producer of the SureDog Radio Network, where he is the creator and host of numerous shows, including Getting Too Personal, MMA Legacy, and of course, the Schillen and Duffy Show, which brings you uh, post-fight recaps right after the main event. Keith, how are you doing this evening? I'm good, brother. How are you doing, man? I'm doing all right. Uh, so we've got UFC Vegas 35. Uh, big difference between this fight card and last week's fight card. Uh, last week's fight card was the most evenly matched UFC event probably ever. N- near as uh, SureDog associate editor Jay Petri and I could tell, it was the first card in UFC history that did not have a single two to one or greater favorite on it. You know, close, you know, close matches all the way up and down the card. That is not the case tonight. Uh, in looking at UFC on ESPN 30, there are a couple of whopping favorites and underdogs on this card. Oh, yeah. And uh, there are a lot, there's a lot of desperation on this card. There are a lot of fighters on this card that are fighting for their job. And there are at least two fights that uh, I think probably both guys are fighting for their job. Like, I think there are at least two loser leaves town matches on this, on this card. Uh, so it'll be interesting when we get to those, but uh if if the the knowledge that they're probably fighting for their roster spot gives them that little extra oomph, that little extra motivation, then maybe this card will give us more than we're uh, we should expect uh, on on paper. Any thoughts there? Sorry, I get. First of all, I apologize. I'm I'm a little under the weather. I was sick on Saturday. I still have a little bit of co- uh, a little bit of a cough, so I apologize if I coughed during the broadcast. Uh, yeah, we got we got guys that uh, have been on the cut list for a long time for us that we thought should be out of the UFC, still still in the roster fighting for a job. The one I'm thinking of, in particular, is Sam Alvey. Uh, he's he hasn't won in, in forever. He's still on the card. But I understand what you're saying about the odds being off like this. Some huge favorites uh, on this card. That said, there's not a fight on last week's card that I was more excited about than I am for this week's main event. Like this week's main event is as good of a matchup that I can think the UFC can make. Agreed. And it's a good matchup in that, well, it's going to teach us a lot about one or both fighters. And stylistically, obviously, it's about as great a striker's delight as you could make in the UFC right now. Like with respect to weight classes, these are about two of the most ex- exciting strikers that you could get in the cage together. Yeah, and um, you know the return of Kevin Lee is exciting. You know he's been out for a long time. We waited years for the Ultimate Fighter to return, just to get a guy who got knocked out <laughs> in his last fight in in the finals. We yep. we got that going on, uh, so that that kind of dimmers it a little bit because the guy that I thought was going to win the show actually uh, unfortunately had to pull out. But uh, overall, I think it's a it's a pretty good card. Sometimes it's okay to have these huge favorites against underdogs because you know what happens yeah it's most likely that huge favorites just gonna run right through the underdog but what if they don't like those exciting moments happen when that that isn't the case and and even some of these that are mismatches on paper they're worth having the fight i I mean we're like a week removed from kayla harrison being a minus five thousand favorite over (laughs) someone like Logan Storley being like a minus 4,000 favorite over over somebody that they like Bellator signed for him to fight. 
mm-hmm. you know, like he's he's like their fourth or fifth ranked welterweight, and they signed a new guy, you know, as a forty to one underdog for him to fight. So compared to that, I mean, this might as well be last week's card. And I'll say this: one of the fights that is a huge. You know, one of the fighters is a huge favorite. I don't think should be a huge favorite. I think they like it should be a much closer line than that. Like when I when I when I checked the lines today, I was utterly shocked by one of the lines. Well, hey, no but spoilers. But I'm not an avid better, so like I don't pay attention to the lines as strong as I should. Mm-hmm. So like maybe that's why I was surprised. But well, yeah. I mean, shall we shall we dive into this one? Yeah, let's get into it. All right, uh, right out the gate, we have a bantamweight matchup between the uh, returning Guido Canetti and the debuting Leamana Martinez. Canetti, the 41-year-old Argentinian, is 8-5 and five overall. He is 2-4 and four since joining the UFC out of the first season of Tough Latin America. He fought most recently uh, last March at UFC 248, getting knocked out by Dana Batkari uh, at three minutes of the first round. You know, kind of a wild three minutes of action, but he ended up getting the worst of it. Uh, he'll be taking on Martinez, uh, as stated before, making his debut. He did have an unsuccessful appearance on Dana White's Contender Series last September, where he got uh, choked all the way out by uh, Draco Rodriguez. He went back to the local scene, local to me. He is a Houston guy, won two more fights in Fury Fighting Championship, and is now getting his chance to debut in the Octagon proper. The odds strongly favor uh, Martinez to make it a successful debut. He is out there minus 310, minus 320. You can get Guido Canetti around plus 260 as uh, the substantial underdog. Uh, I'll go ahead. I, you and I have both had encounters with Mana Martinez. You've interviewed him for uh, MMA past, present, and future. I, I know him pretty well. Uh, you know, he's a guy that I've seen almost all of his pro fights. I've, ta- I've talked to him several times. Guido Canetti is absolutely just cut out to make Leamana Martinez look fantastic. The thing about Canetti for most of his UFC career is that he was this wildly aggressive and pretty athletic guy for a guy in his late 30s, but wildly aggressive, but it would get him into trouble and he'd just dive right into submissions. Against Dana Bakari, he dove right into punches in the face. You never like to see a fighter take his first knockout loss at age 40. Like, that's not usually a sign of good things for the future. But if Guido Canetti just goes running heedlessly at Mana Martinez, he is going to get sniped. And he is going to get highlight reel sniped. Uh, Leia Mana Martinez, I mean, he presents as kind of a tall, skinny bantamweight. He doesn't, you don't look at him like a, uh, like a Cody Garbrandt or a John Dodson where you're like, oh, I bet that dude just cracks. But Leia Mana Martinez cracks. I, I, First interviewed him when I think he was like four and one as a, a pro. And even then I was like, this guy delivers a level of knockout power that you don't see very often in the Bantamweight division. Uh, nothing I've seen then has changed that. And he is a very composed striker. Uh, he, I mean, he grew up in a karate school. Uh, guys running right at him and having to get within his his reach is exactly what he thrives on. Uh the only real X factor is, and we might as well get this out there, Leamana Martinez's coach died like a week and a half ago. Uh, you know, Salsa Lee's of Metro Fight Club, head coach of Mana Martinez, of Adrian Yanez. Uh, he died of, of, of COVID, and it was barely a week ago. 
you never know how that's going to affect a fighter. Certainly, you know, a, a 25-year-old fighter in Martinez where Solis is the only coach he's ever had other than, like, his, his own dad. Mm. Uh, sometimes that's going to affect your concentration, your preparation. Uh, I, you know, I'm not sure who's going to be cornering him. Uh, other times, you know, it's go out and win one for the coach. You know, maybe it adds to his focus. I don't know which it is. And maybe he's just a professional enough guy that he'll be able to put it away and go out and perform like he should. And if he does that, if he goes out and performs like he should, like I say, this is, this is tailor-made for him. I give me Mana Martinez by first round knockout. Is is that why his his fight was pushed back a week? Uh, it wasn't said, so I don't know if they were holding yeah. him as a precaution. Because again, I saw Mana and Adrian at UFC 265 where I picked up COVID. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I wasn't even thinking about that. Could he be COVID? I thought more like, hey, give this guy a week. His his coach just died. Yeah. Like uh, they never came out and said it was injury or illness. So I was operating on the assumption that it was probably just, you know, like his. Saul Solis' viewing is tomorrow. Yeah, that's terrible. Uh, yeah, I like I I don't even know if if Mana's in Vegas right now, but just yeah, I I don't have any reason to believe that that Mana tested positive or or got ill himself. I suspect it was just for the the morning and and you know because it yeah, was so yeah. soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's terrible to think. I mean, either one. I'm assuming he's in Vegas and he doesn't get to go to his coach funeral. I mean, that's just a really terrible situation. And you know what's really sad about it is I'll, he doesn't get to share the, the moment, his debut with his coach. Like, mm-hmm. that's even worse than having – well, I don't want to say that. But but even worse than having the mentor next to him doing the X's and O's of a fight, going back to the corner in between rounds and having him saying, hey – Monty, you're dropping your in here, or hey, we need you to pick up the pace, or even more than that insight of someone as experienced as Saul Solis is, is just not sharing the because because you know the, a fighter waits for this big moment their whole career, and that coach has been with them in the small the the American Legions, the the bar type shows, the in attendance where you're you're selling tickets to your friends to get paid and and stuff. Your coach has been there through those, and he was there when you lost your contender series bout, and I'm sure he put his arm around him and told him, like, hey, you're still going to make it. It's sad. It's really extremely, extremely sad uh, when you think about it. Uh, Not how we wanted to start our show, but obviously we'd have to address it. Uh, So I'll start with Guido Canetti. He's 41 years old. He's been off for 17 months. You know, you can't like that at his age. He's had some flashes of talent in the past, but at this age, it's starting to happen less and less frequent. He's very aggressive on the feet. His left hook is probably his best strike. He can be very wild, though, just kind of throwing hard. Uh, he has power. I mean, you go back to the Marlon Vera fight. He actually hurt Marlon Vera, who obviously is is a very good fighter for the division. And he throws good, hard kicks to the body. But he has really slowed down. I mean, we expect that when he's... 41 and i i highly doubt he gets quicker after a 17th month layoff he he he's an okay wrestler he'll mix and takedowns from the clinch and uh from distance but though the clinch used to be a strong point for him he got brutalized by marlon vera in their matchup and you go back to his last matchup where he was knocked out quick uh you start worrying about his chin you start worrying about his reaction time 
Now, like you said, you, you pointed out uh, Martinez's coach just died. You already carry a lot of mixed emotions in your UFC debut. That is adding on that fact that it's so new. It wasn't one of these ones where he died three months ago, four months ago. Uh, this is extremely new. But I think he gets over because he is a really good prospect. I mean, he the guy who's fighting for the contract, the, the tough finale, Ricky Turgos, yeah. he beat him. He, he, he beat he him. knocked him out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Martinez, he's a southpaw. As you mentioned, he has power in both his hands. He also has like a killer instinct to find the finish. He's a counter striker. He has a real slip and rip style. He loves his pull left hand. He has good head movement to do this. Great vision. He seems very relaxed when he's out there. He sees everything coming at him. He makes the mistakes of dropping his hands, uh, which is which uh, could pay dividends, especially when he moves up the rankings. But I like that he works the body well. Good kicks to the legs. He uses feints to set up his kicks. Throws calf kicks. Has a sneaky high kick. He's not much of an offensive grappler, but he has solid takedown defense. He's more of a sprawl and brawl style guy. I don't like and and hit, hit a shot for all the times you hear me say this. This is part of the drinking game. I hate that he jumps on a guillotine instead of sprawling. However, he has caught it in the past, so you gotta like that. Uh, and on the bottom, if he's stuck on the bottom, he does struggle to get back up. So as far as prediction goes, like you said, you have to wonder where his head's at. However, Kennedy's gonna have to wrestle and wrestle a lot to win this fight. If he stands on the feet with his winging, hard-throwing style. Martinez is going to piece him up. I think he makes the brief mistake, and I think Martinez puts him out. You said this is tailor-made for Martinez. It's not often a guy is 0-1 in the big stage, you know, of accounting the contender series as a big stage, and got stopped, and he enters his his UFC de- debut almost a 3-1 to favorite. But it's right. Like, the line is right. I think this is an easy KO win. I think Martinez does it in the very first round in his UFC debut. And I'm going to do my best bet. I'm going to do my best bet is one that I've never done before. I never get into the prop bets. But I just looked right now, and Martinez is – Martinez by TKO, KO, TKO is plus 115. So you can get plus power on a guy who's – I mean, plus money on a guy who's known for his power against Kennedy who's kind of showing signs of a – like – slow down fighter chin that's kind of decayed i think that's the best bet of the night so i'm throwing out my best bet take martinez in the prop bet by ko tko now mind you i want to say this before we move on i always say if you go to bet please bet response please bet fun money don't spend your your rent or anything like that we don't we don't want anybody doing that but if you if you like to gamble i think that's the best bet there you go two strong picks for uh mono martinez we to get the, the bittersweet we got oh. this. We got. We got East Texas. Yeah, well, and hold on to that hat because there, there are a couple more Texas fighters coming up. But maybe this might be the only time I, I, I'm picking it. Maybe that's why I forgot. We will All see. Right. Next up on the UFC Vegas 35 prelims is an intriguing uh, prospect matchup at featherweight. It is Jamal Emmers versus Pat Sabatini. Emmers, the 32-year-old Californian, is 18 and five overall. Uh, he is one and one in uh, the UFC after appearing on the second season of Dana White's Contender Series, but not being immediately signed. Uh, he did make his uh, UFC debut last March, 
dropping a split decision to uh, your headliner this Saturday, Giga Chikadze, came back uh, in August and won a unanimous decision over Vince Cachero. He'll be taking on Sabatini, uh, the 30-year-old uh, Philadelphia. You, you forgot about another fight for uh, Emmers where he was booked and then didn't actually make it in the cage. Oh. Remember his last fight? Yeah, it was uh, – what was it? Who was he fighting? He had back spasms, remember? It happened – Oh, yes. It, it happened, like, literally, like, on fight night, like, after the card started. Yeah, who was That's right. I can't remember who he's fighting. I, I don't have Sure Dog up. Uh, I don't have the Fight Finder. Shout out to the Fight Finder, but uh, I don't know. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt you. Chas Kelly? I think it was Chas Kelly. Yes. Yeah, it was Chas Kelly. Uh, <clears throat> well, at any rate, uh, here's hoping he makes it to the cage against Pat Sabatini. The uh, 30-year-old Philadelphia native is 14-3 and overall. He's 1-0 since joining the UFC out of uh, Cage Fury Fighting Championships. He debuted in April, winning a unanimous decision over Tristan Connolly. Uh, odds are fairly close on this one, but Emmers is the favorite. He is minus 150 or so. You can get Sabatini at plus 130, plus 135 uh, as the underdog. Uh, Keith, assuming Emmers is hale and healthy and makes it to the cage, how do you see this fight going? Yeah, I'm glad that we're talking about that because actually it's a, it's a much bigger if than we know because he's gone on record and actually said it wasn't back spasm. They actually found a herniated disc in his back, which becomes you know really serious. That's something that sidelines a guy. Some people never recover from something like that. Um, so we talk about Emmers. As you mentioned, he had a split decision against Giga uh, Chikase, uh, who's in the main event. So it's really weird for me that this fight is so buried on the card. I think it's actually one of the better ones. I actually think you make an argument for this being the main card or – He's so Emmers. He's well rounded. He's he's very big for the weight class. Uh, defensively, he makes a mistake of backing straight up, but he's a high volume striker who like actually likes to strike while backing up. He's got fast hands. He's accurate. He's pretty fluid. He works behind a jab. His right hand is very accurate. He throws a lot of kicks, especially at the body. I love his step in knees. Plum clinch is also a very strong uh, position for him because of his his size advantage. He throws those up. Uh, I like that he just will lock on, clamp down, just kind of blasting these. Best, but the best part of his game might be his wrestling. He chains takedowns together really well. I go back to when he was in LFA. He locked on a slick head and arm triangle choke on uh, Rafael Barboza, which is a good win. Uh, I am a little worried about him moving, you know, after a, suffering a herniated disc and going against someone I like in Pat Sabatini. But I do not that this counterbalances, but uh, he. I know he recently has been started training with Team Alpha Male, uh, so that's always good to expand and get with a really good team. Now Sabatini, uh, he's a decent athlete. He has a very karate style to him. Uh, he has a wide stance. I would say his hands are okay. His boxing really needs improvement, but he has plus power. Like he has some sting on his punches. I like that he goes to the body. I love that he has spinning tacks. <coughs> Sorry about that. Uh, he throws a lot of leg kicks, a lot of kicks just in general. He's a good wrestler, too. Like he likes to close the distance. He'll grind against the fence, trip you down, look for submission. He is a submission threat. Uh, as far as prediction goes, this is a really good matchup between two guys that two guys that I liked when they were on the regional scene, two guys that I was kind of pushing for them to kind of be added to a higher level like the UFC. However, I'm going to go with Emmers. Um, 
he already had really good wrestling and work with Team Alpha Male makes me even more confident. And I think that's a problem for Sabatini because that's an era where he usually wins, which I don't think he'd be able to. I think Emers is the more fluid striker. I think he might. I think he's better on the feet. I think he's. Probably, I don't know if he's a better grappler, but he can at least match him in the grappling. So give me Emers to win everywhere, and I think it's going to be a pretty one-sided decision for Emers. I'm with you on this one. I, I like both these guys as as prospects. I think they both probably have uh, staying power in the division. I mean, it's impressive the type of people that Emers fought on the way up. Not just uh, Juliano Rosa on the Contender Series, but yeah, you go back on his record. He's got you know fighting people like Tiago Moises and Corey Sandhagen, you know, in in LFA. Uh, <clears throat> but they have a win over Corey Sandhagen. Yeah, he beat Corey Sandhagen, yeah, and he, he he beat him for real. Like he he yeah, beat Sandhagen. Okay, what is that? Yeah, that's aged. That's aged well. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but I I agree, and I see this consisting of a lot of Sabatini like chasing Emmers and trying to you know get him onto the fence and do damage there and maybe work for takedowns against the fence. And I just don't think that's going to work for him against Emmers. Uh, as you pointed out, Emmers you know can back straight up a lot like. You know, uh, he might spend a lot of this fight, you know, like looking down at his feet on on that warning track. But I think he's going to be good enough uh, hitting Sabatini while moving away and resisting those takedowns. That, like like you say, he's probably just going to win a pretty straightforward decision where he's just a little better everywhere. So uh, give me Jamal Emmer's by decision as well. We head down to the flyweight division, and it is a matchup between J.J. Aldrich and the debuting uh, Vanessa Demopoulos. Aldrich, the 29-year-old Colorado native, is nine and four overall. She's five and three in the UFC. Uh, she is, I believe, two and two since moving up to flyweight. She originally debuted as a strawweight. Uh, she'll be welcoming Demopolis, the uh, Dana White's Contender Series veteran and uh, LFA standout. Is 32 years old. She is six and three overall. She fought most recently. Back in March at LFA 103, knocking out Cynthia RCO in 37 seconds. That put an end to a two-fight uh, skid for her against Corey McKenna on the Contender Series and then uh, Lupita Godinez, to whom she dropped a majority decision in their title fight uh, last October. Odds on this one strongly favor Aldrich. She is minus 350. You can get Demopolis at plus 290 as, uh, as the underdog. Uh, I think I probably dismissed J.J. Aldrich too quickly and have been too slow to come back around on her as a, a decent uh, addition to the flyweight roster. I mean, I think I wrote her off pretty quickly because I saw her at strawweight and she she didn't present as a plus athlete. She wasn't particularly like strong or powerful even for that division. So when she moved up to 125, I didn't pay much attention. But, I mean, she looked... Pretty good against Sabina Maso. She looked good against Courtney Casey. Uh, and I expect her to have at least the physical strength advantage against uh, Vanessa Demopoulos here, even if Demopoulos is a little bit more of an explosive, fast-switch athlete, uh, especially with Demopoulos moving up to, to flyweight. Uh, to me, Demopoulos got a lot of shine, obviously, off that inverted triangle choke submission of Sam Hughes back in LFA. That you know that There was tons of buzz around her that kind of carried her onto uh, the contender series, but she is still a super, super raw fighter. Uh, you know, 
I don't know, like it kind of like if Macy Barber started training at 20 instead of at five, you know, like she got like explosion and physical tools and aggression. And she definitely has uh, like those kind of finishing instincts when she has an opponent hurt. But there's no one thing she does I, I, at a particularly high level by UFC standards. And the parts of her game have not really coalesced into uh, into a whole thing either. So. I mean, barring Aldrich like making a bad mistake or gassing out badly, I, I I think this is pretty easy sledding for Aldrich. I mean, I do question whether minus three fifty is really warranted, uh, but maybe that's just still me not believing in JJ Aldrich yet. But I certainly believe in her to get the job done against Demopolis here. Uh, give me Aldrich by winning at least the first two rounds, and again, unless she gasses out worse than Demopolis does, probably by winning all three. Yeah, uh, so JJ Aldridge, so she's she beat Courtney Casey in his last fight, even though you went to MMA decisions and everyone but one scorer gave it to Courtney Casey, and that's just simply because if it's a close fight, Courtney Casey loses a split decision. That's just how it goes. That's like her. She's she's got to be the queen of. Uh, uh, she has to have the most split decision losses in UFC history. It's it's, it's got to be up there. Um, but back to this fight. Uh, JJ Aldridge, she's southpaw. She uses uses a lot of movement well. Uh, she's a counter striker. She really likes to pull her opponents into her strikes. Good boxing, though she can be a little trigger shy at times, a little low output, throwing one strike at a time. And that's too bad because she has pretty fast hands uh, and she has an accurate uh, straight left. She does like headhunt a little bit and ignores the body, which I don't like. She doesn't have much power. Um, she. She got destroyed in the clinch when she went against Sabina Mazo, and that's because she's a little short for the weight class, something she needs to avoid against uh, Vanessa Demopoulos. She's an underrated offensive wrestler, and we saw that actually in the fight against Courtney Casey. She took Courtney Casey down four times, and she's um, a, a decent defensive wrestler. Maybe moving forward, we'll see more wrestling from her, and that will actually probably increase her striking too, but when you add in the threat of a takedown. I don't know if this is the fight where she wants to, you know, go wrestle heavy. Um, you said Vanessa Demopoulos, you know, this is a former LFA champion. You said she, she got a lot of um, buzz about her because she got an inverted triangle. That's true. I also think a lot of her buzz was that the LFA was promoting that she's a stripper. And so is her mom. And her dad is the club DJ that got them into it and actually – spins the records while his daughter's stripping. I don't know. It's really what, well, you know, I should, I don't want to judge, but uh, just. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it's too judgmental to say it's weird. Like <laughs> I have, I have no problem with people making a living a as a stripper or working at a strip club, but like a, a dad and daughter like that, that is a bit weird. Yeah. That's, that's is, it, was, is, it, is it Chris Rock? That's like, that says that your only goal as a dad is to keep him off the pole. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this dad is doing the opposite. I, I don't know. Um, on the feet. Uh, you said she has a lot of work. I agree that she's she's pretty raw on the feet. She does do some good things. She stays pretty compact. She keeps her chin tucked. She she has uh, like a winging hard right hand, but overall her striking is pretty weak. She tends to pull her punches. She has tons of heart, which you can't you can't teach. Like you talk about, you know, she didn't start when she was five years old. She can take a beating. I mean, we've seen it. Uh, Sam Hughes fight, uh, Cody McKenna fight. Um, when she lost her title, I can't think of the girl's name that she lost her title to. That she, like she got beat up. Like she yeah, took Lupita a Peter Godinez. Yeah, Godinez. Yeah, Godinez beat her up. Um, 
So she can take a beating, but she wants to get. I'm going to disagree with one thing. You said that she's not a high level anywhere. I'm going to disagree. I think she's a high level grappler. Um, okay. And, and, the, and I shouldn't say grappler. I should say submission threat because she's not a strong wrestler. She tends to shoot way too far away. But she's wise enough that she'll just pull guard if she needs to get it down. She'll Imanabi roll. Um, she she she's not one that that defends takedowns by jumping on a guillotine. She just she doesn't defend a takedown. She's so comfortable off her back uh, because she's extremely. Um, I mean, she's a, she's extremely decorated grappler. You look at her accolades; they're up there. But she's also like very very flexible off her back. I'm insert some kind of stripper joke in there, guys. Um, but uh, she gets some really slick back takes, good arm bars. She kind of gets subs from any position, as you talked about the inverted triangle on Sam Hughes. As far as the prediction goes, you're right. Like, J.J. Aldridge at negative 350, like, that's insanity. Like, J.J. Aldridge should be negative 350 against anybody. Uh, if Demopolis gets this fight to the ground, she can hit a quick sub easily. And right now, Demopolis – now, as I said, I've never done this before. I don't give out uh, prop bets. But Demopolis by uh, uh, Demopolis at plus, plus two eighty five, right now is a really I like that bet as an underdog. And then if you can, I don't know what Demopolis by submission like it's got to be even bigger than that. Like if you're gonna bet Demopolis at plus two eighty five, you might as well throw the plus submission. I should have looked it up. However, I'm with you. I think Aldridge can keep it on the feet. I think she's pretty technically sound. She's she's gonna need to avoid the ground at all costs kind of really employ a, a sprawling ball technique, a sprawling ball game plan. And I think she does. I think she might, you might get hairy at times, but you said that she, she might lose her third. I actually think it's gonna be the opposite. Like I think the first round is the one that she's uh, in the biggest danger. I actually think as the fight goes on, I think we're going to see uh, Demopolis, who's going to be trying to wrestle hard, be the one that um, kind of fades. So give me Aldridge by decision. All right, there you have it. Two picks for uh, J.J. Aldrich by decision. The UFC on ESPN 30 uh, prelims head up to the light heavyweight division where Dustin Jacoby will take on Darren Stewart. Jacoby, the 33-year-old out of Factory X, is 14-5-1 overall. He is 2-2-1 two, two and one in the UFC, but that's a bit misleading because it includes his 0-2 run all the way back a full decade ago. Uh, he is really 2-0-1 since uh, rejoining the UFC out of Dana White's Contender Series uh, late last year. Uh, he defeated Justin Ledetz and Maxime Grishin in his first two fights back, then had a controversial split draw with Yuan Kudalaba uh, at UFC on ESPN 23 back in May. Uh, he'll be taking on Stewart. The 30-year-old Brit is 12 and 7 with two no contests overall. He's 5 and 6 with two no contests in the UFC, or 5 and 7 if you want to count his fight with Bartosz Fabinski in Cage Warriors, which was technically a UFC fight in all but name. It happened right as the uh, COVID lockdown was beginning to happen, and those two guys happened to be in Europe, so they threw him on Cage Warriors 113. It was weird. Anyway, yeah, but it was uh, cool to do that. So they it was cool to do that. Like, yeah, they, cool. they picked up a paycheck, and at the time, nobody knew. Like, are, are there going to be any fights at all this year? So yeah, definitely a cool thing, but kind of a weird. It'll weird. it's a weird footnote gonna, looking back. It's going to be yeah. a great trivia like twenty years from now. Yes, especially because it didn't end up happening again. You know, like we, you know, it's like it happened the one time, and that was it. Uh, Stewart has hit a bit of a rough patch of late, um, including that Fabinski fight. He is. One and three with one no contest in his last five. 
Uh, he's, you know, coming off the back of two fights with Eric Anders, one that ended uh, late in the first round on an illegal knee. They decided to rebook it, and he just dropped a straightforward uh, decision to Anders in the rematch. The main interesting thing about the rematch is that despite both of them being career middleweights, they decided to do it at light heavyweights. Uh, and uh, Darren Stewart apparently decided he liked the taste of food because this one is taking place at light heavyweight as well. Uh, we'll see, you know, if uh, if he can actually hang with uh, UFC light heavyweights. Uh, odds on this one do slightly favor Jacoby. Uh, he is minus 170. You can get Stewart at plus 150. Uh, Keith, how do you see this one playing out? This is an intriguing fight. Um, it should be a fun stylistic match between the former middleweights battling the light heavyweight. So Stewart, he's he's not a great athlete. He's not that fast, but he does have power. It's still unknown if that has gone with him to two to two hundred five, uh, but he loves to battle and brawl it out in the pocket. That didn't go too well again for him against Eric Anders, um, but. I think that has more to do that Stewart is usually the stronger guy, and Eric Anders is like the one, one of the one middleweights or light heavyweights that would be stronger than Darren Stewart. Stewart has hard hard calf kicks. He's an underrated grappler. Uh, he likes to just battle in close, battle in the clinch. Uh, as I said, he, he that usually is a safe zone for him. Um, wasn't the case against Eric Anders because, as what I just said, being stronger than him. Stewart... He likes to sneak in a takedown. He's, he's got some underrated wrestling. He can catch a submission. He loves the guillotine. Um, and he's got some pretty good ground and pound. Now, move over to Jacoby. Uh, obviously, you mentioned his, he had a hiatus from the UFC when he was doing glory kickboxing. He's technically sound on the feet. He's light on the feet. Um, nice lateral movement. He cuts angles really well when, when his opponents attack him. He blocks punches by parrying, which is using your hands. He's very good at that. Uh, offensively, everything comes off his jab. He just kind of touches instead of unloading power shots when he sees an opening. Everything straight punches, real clean, one-two combinations, brutal calf kicks. He, I mean, you go back to the Justin Ledette fight, he just lit up Justin Ledette with leg kicks um, and, and, and finished him with leg kicks like two minutes into the fight. He's a weak wrestler. We saw that in his last fight against Ian Kutalaba. Kutalaba took him down nine times. But to his credit, uh, he, he showed a really good get-up game. I mean, Kudalaba took him down. He kept getting back up. And I go all the way back to the King Mo fight like a, like a decade ago. Like King Mo had trouble keeping him down. And you know how decorated rest of King Mo was. So as far as prediction goes, uh, I'm really down on Stewart at this point. It, he's just way too inconsistent. Uh, it's hard to trust him. He looked terrible against Eric Anders in his last two fights. If he's smart, he cuts off angles and tries to make this a, a as much of a rest as much as possible. And I think that could happen. However, I think... Jacoby just moves, makes him makes himself a you know moving target. Doesn't stay stationary, uh, uh, and just kind of jab move, jab move, leg kick, and just cruises to a pretty one sided decision. So give me Jacoby by unanimous decision. Speaking of unanimous, uh, we are what four or five fights into this card. Yeah, four fights into this card. We've yet to disagree on anything, and I'm with you once again here. I think Stewart could make this interesting and could make it close by really working for the takedown. Uh, I just, I don't know if he's going to. I think he's probably going to test his luck a little too much on on the feet. And as you pointed out, like, Jacoby, his, I mean, his takedown defense was was his problem 
all like coming all, all the way up like to his his first UFC uh run his loss to David Branch uh in WSOF his losses to uh Mo, King Mo and John Salter in in Bellator and we learned from the Kudalaba fight that yeah he's it's still not a strength for him uh you know he's kind of a tall long-legged light heavyweight who wants to kick a lot so you know it'll probably always be a problem but he's shown a good get-up game and I just don't, I don't trust Stewart to get him down with any consistency or to be able to like do much with it if he can get him down uh you know for for short periods and for as long as they hang out on the feet it is danger zone for for Stewart like Jacoby's leg kicks are are going to do damage uh Jacoby is is probably going to be able to uh, to counter him with punches as well. Uh, I'm not going to go for the the finish here. Like Stewart's proven to be a, a tough out, but this is going to be one of those levels to this type fights. Like Jacoby is going to is going to make Stewart look amateurish on the feet. I think. Uh, give me Dustin uh, Dustin Jacoby by a pretty one sided decision. Off the top of this show, I mentioned that there are uh, at least two fights on this card that are likely loser-leave-town matchups. This is one of them, as we head to the middleweight division for Sam Alvey versus Wellington Terman. Uh, Alvey, the 35-year-old, is 33-15-1 uh, with one no contest overall. He is 10-10-1 since joining the UFC out of the 16th season of The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, he is currently mired in what can only be described as a miserable slump. He is 0-5-1 in the last three years, uh, fought most recently back in April, uh, getting choked to sleep by Julian Marquez in the second round at UFC on ABC, Vittori versus Holland. That was after a split draw against Da Unjung, and then prior to that, a four-fight losing streak against Ryan Spann, Klitson Abreu, Jimmy Crute, and Antonio Hogerio Noguera. Uh, that dates all the way back to September of 2018. He'll be taking on Terman. The 25-year-old Brazilian is 16-5 and overall. He is just 1-3 and since joining the UFC uh, a little over two years ago. He is on a two-fight losing streak, both of them first-round knockouts at the hands of Bruno Silva, uh, to whom he lost just back in June. Uh, at UFC on ESPN, Korean Zombie versus Ige. And then prior to that, it was Andrew Sanchez who put him down in the first round back in uh, August of last year at UFC Fight Night, Lewis versus Olenek. Uh, odds on this one actually slightly favor the Brazilian. He's minus 130, uh, where you can get Alvi uh, at even money or even looks like a plus 105, plus 110 as, as the slight underdog. Uh, again, I mean... It's not absolutely guaranteed that the guy who loses this is out of the UFC. You know, Alvi, he he has the intangibles going for him. He he is a he's a recognizable name. Those are few and far between. And to be fair to him, that split draw against Da Unjung, I mean, I thought he won it. I looked at MMA decisions. You scored it for Alvi as well. So I mean, really, he Ugh. should have a, a, a win. You know, within the last year. Why is so funny? I, yeah. I don't even remember that fight. I, I think I just put Sam Alvey out of my brain. Like, I don't even remember anything about that fight. <laughs> I, I I can't blame you for wanting to put that fight out of, out of your brain. It, it wasn't a good fight. Um, and then Terman, you know, he's only 25 years old. And for what it's worth, his fights have been pretty exciting since he's been in the UFC. My problem with Terman is what he wants to do, he cannot do at a UFC level. Like, 
on the regional scene and in his one UFC win, which was against Marcus Perez, who has since washed out of the UFC. I mean, he wants to come forward. He wants to grapple like he wants to get you to the ground. He doesn't have much of a traditional like shot from the outside like an American wrestler. But, you know, he he wants to to bull his way into the clinch, uh, you know, and get trips or throws, find a way to get to the ground, then go to work uh, with ground and pound and, and submissions. That's what he wants to do. He is not proven able to do it against UFC level fighters. And. I don't think he's going to be able to do it against Sam Alvey. Like the problem with Sam Alvey is that, I mean, for a guy who has kind of a, you know, that quirky, unique personality, the whole, you know, the, the train walkout music, the, the model wife, the creepy grin, his, his actual fights, man. (laughs) Yeah. There's, Hey, it's, but but it works. It works for him. Like she actually clearly knows a little bit about like what she's talking about or, or knows what things to say to him. This isn't, you know, Mike Perry. Mike just, Perry's girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, this is not this is not that. But did she get a win? Did she get she got a win though, didn't she? Yep. Yeah. Over um Mickey Gall. Yeah. <laughs> All right, sorry. Sorry. The gift, to, the gift I, that I, keeps I on I giving, man. I, we sh- we should have a drinking game every time I interrupt you. Sorry. No, hey, I, I I am fine. Like, interrupt me with with details and important stuff anytime. Uh, but the problem with Sam Alvey is, win or lose, his fights can be painful to watch, because what he wants to do is counter strike, and he's not like he doesn't have great hand or foot speed. But you know, he's he's a technically sound guy, and even if his power is a little overstated, especially when he's up at light heavyweight, he does hit hard. You know, like if he catches you enough times, it's even if he doesn't knock you out because he hasn't knocked anybody out in almost four years. It's enough to hurt people and it's enough to win rounds. Uh, I I honestly think he's going to bust up Wellington Terman. Like I'm I'm going for the the uh, slight upset here, but give me Wellington Terman to go charging in on Sam Alvey and eat a bunch of uh, lefts and rights for his trouble. Uh I'm actually considering that Wellington Terman twice in a row now has just gotten busted up charging at better strikers than himself. Make it three in a row. Give me Sam Alvey by, I'm going to say second round TKO. He's going to catch Terman coming in. He's going to hurt him. This is going to go to the ground uh, with Terman already hurt. Alvey's probably going to finish him with ground strikes and Terman will be out. Alvey will be in. Maybe he'll retire in the cage. Who knows? You know, we can only hope for such a happy ending. No. Of course, he's not going to retire in the cage. Uh, but yeah, g- give me Sam Alvey by by slight upset. Sam Alvey, uh, round two TKO. So what you predicted is that Sam Alvey wins, which guarantees himself like three more fights in the UFC. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, I am not nearly as confident, and I'll tell you why. And I want to have full disclosure with our listeners. I didn't watch any film on Sam Alvey for this fight. I just I refuse to at this point. Like he's thirty five. <laughs> he's thirty five. He's he's winless in his last six fights. He hasn't won a fight in three years. No. I guess I thought he should have won one of his last six fights. Like I said, I, I just put that out. I don't I don't have anything personal against Sam Alvey. Like if Sam Alvey was my neighbor, he'd probably be like my best friend. He's like the nicest dude on planet Earth. I'm just done with him. Like I I don't like watching him fight. He's a terrible athlete. He's slow, he's flat footed, he, he backs straight up to the cage. Um, doing nothing. Um, you said his. You said his power is overrated. I'm gonna disagree with you. I'm gonna say it's grossly overrated. <laughs> like 
Like they, I said it last time. They're gonna make it sound like if he touches you, he's it's it's Francis Zangano touching you. Like if he just grazes you, you're gonna go out. His, his chin is fading. Uh, he won't throw enough punches to win. Uh, you say that he's gonna win by knockout. I really think that's the only way he wins because he doesn't throw enough. Uh, he does have pretty good kicking power, though he doesn't throw it enough. Uh, I actually think his clinch striking is okay, and he's an underrated grappler. He's pretty decent on the ground. Uh, not decent, but he's he, he's serviceable on the ground. So there is ways. I'm, I'm being a little uh, hyperbolic when I'm saying that there's no ways for him to win, but it's very limited. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, then it's, his opponent's well, it's in Terman. So Terman is only 25 years old. And you know how I feel about that age. Like, that's my, like, don't give up on this guy. He's only 25. He's he's aggressive. He loves to pocket box, which might not be a good idea against Sam Alvey. Though one mistake he does is he doesn't re-chamber to his face. He does it like what they call scooping or uh, when you throw a punch, instead of bringing it straight back, you, like, scoop it down, uh, which leads him to open the counters. And he's been paid a price for that. He does have some real snap on his punches. He throws everything with power, uh, but he makes huge overloading. Like he he has tell sides because he really loads up on his shots. He mixes punches and kicks in well together. He throws a lot of kicks. He'll throw occasional spinning tack. And he's actually a good, as you mentioned, he wants to get the fight again. He's a good grappler. Before being knocked out by Bruno Silva, he was out grappling Bruno Silva. He was he was winning against Bruno Silva before Bruno Silva realized. Like, hey, this is well it's determined. I could probably just knock this guy out now. And okay, now I now I just knocked him out. Uh like he he was actually winning. People got mad at me for saying that, but it was true. Uh I am obviously extremely worried about Wellington Terman's chin, though, as he was brutally knocked out by Andrew Sanchez in his last fight, and then Bruno Sanchez uh did it uh himself. Um actually Bruno Silva, not Bruno Silva. <laughs> Bruno Silva and Andrew Sanchez. I mixed those two names up. They both knocked him out in back to back fights. So as far as, as far as prediction goes, as bad as I want to bat, as I bash Sam Alvey, he could win this fight, as you said. He could land one shot, turn it out, especially, like, I think about the Marcin Pracnio fight, like, he kind of charged at Sam Alvey um, and got knocked out, kind of the same thing. However, I'm picking Terman for two reasons. One, he's younger. And number two, he's not Sam Alvey. So, give me Terman by decision. I don't know. I hate this fight. There you go. There you go. Our our first incident uh, of dissension here, uh, you know. And so the 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 cut list will get somebody. We'll just it'll remain to be seen who. The top prelim at UFC on ESPN thirty is a middleweight matchup between Alessio De Chirico and Abdul Razak Al Hassan. Uh, this would be another likely uh, pink slip derby as both men have had a pretty rough run of late. Uh, De Chirico. The 31-year-old Italian is 13 and five overall. He's four and five in the UFC. Uh, he actually won his last uh, outing, icing Joaquin Buckley with a head kick of all things back at UFC on ABC One in January of this year. That put an end to a three-fight losing streak for DeCurico. That, frankly, I was surprised to see him uh, re-sign off of. Uh, although they were against good fighters in Kevin Holland, Mahmoud Muradov, who fights later tonight and uh, Zach Cummings. He'll be taking on uh, Al Hassan, the 36-year-old fighting out of Fortis MMA, is 10-4 and 4 overall. 
He's an even four and four in the UFC, but he is on a three fight losing streak. Uh, those coming against Munir Lazez, uh, Chaos Williams and uh, Jacob Malkoon most recently, and that would be back in April at UFC on ESPN, Whitaker versus Gastelum. Uh, odds on this one, pretty heavily favored to Kiriko. He's minus 240. You can get uh, Al Hassan at plus 200, plus 205 uh, as the two-to-one underdog. Of, you know, you say there's 600 fighters on UFC roster, so probably about 400 of them were on roster all of last year. Like, they started 2020 and ended 2020 as members of the UFC roster. Of those 400 fighters or so, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan had the worst year of anybody. He went 0-2. He suffered his first stoppage loss when uh, Chaos Williams knocked him out in 30 seconds. He missed weight both times. That cost him a percentage of his purse both times, and it cost him a fight-of-the-night bonus against Munir Lazez. Uh, at a conservative estimate, he probably lost $100,000 on the scale last year. Uh, frankly, wouldn't have been surprising if the UFC had let him go off of two losses and two weight misses in a row, but he came back this year, took on Jacob Malkoon, either wisely decided to move up to middleweight or was forced up to middleweight by the UFC, but in either event, the problem is that Malkoon beat him bad. So it's three decisive losses in a row for Al Hassan. I mean, Malkoon outstruck him, which is a problem, considering that's where Al Hassan's bread has typically been buttered. Uh, I mean, there was a 10-8 round in, in the middle of that thing. It, it was it was not good. Uh, Al Hassan almost certainly fighting for his uh, job here. And frankly, DeKirico, again, you know, he's lost three of his last four. If he loses, there's no guarantee. Like, he sticks around either. Uh, the problem is... I... I, I don't I don't know if Al if Al Hassan has the the game to go in the UFC middleweight division. I mean, he wasn't a huge welterweight. I mean, he's a, like a big, thickly muscled uh, welterweight. But at 185, I mean, Malkoon had all kinds of reach on him. Uh, was stronger when when they clinched. Uh, and he's taking on a guy in Kiriko. I mean, the guy's nickname is Manzo, which just means beef in Italian, because he is a burly guy. Like, DiCirico is not really a, a a plus athlete, but he is a very strong dude. You can just tell by looking at him. Like, you know, he, he's a muscular guy. Uh, Al-Hassan, his nickname is Judo Thunder, but it's kind of like Hector Lombard, where, yeah, I know he's supposed to come from a Judo background, but mostly what he does is knock people out really quick. You know, it's more about lightning fists than Judo Thunder. Uh I don't see him doing that to Alessio DiCirico. I, you know, I, I always do kind of, you know, wish well on Fortis guys. I, I, you know, I think it's a great uh, gym. I think they're well-coached guys. But Alhassan's array of of weapons, just they, they haven't proven to work uh, at, at a UFC level. I mean, they'll never be able to take away the knockout of Nico Price, but... Nico Price never never met an opponent whose offense he didn't want to make look good. He's he's like one of those professional wrestlers who's a really good worker. Like, you know, they always said Ric Flair always made his opponent's offense look amazing. That that's Nico Price. Like Nico Price is is the one guy that okay, if all you got is a huge overhand right, I'll, I'll let you land one. Like, let's make this interesting. And th that wasn't a great idea. Against Takiriko, like Takiriko, uh, he's uh he's not he's not doesn't have fast hands, doesn't have uh, like great footwork, but he's reasonably defensively sound. I I, I don't see Al Hassan landing the huge kill shot he's going to need to to win this. Uh, I think he probably makes it to the final 
Bell, but just give me the Kiriko by kind of a one-sided, pretty uh, pretty grindy uh, decision. Most of this fight probably takes place on the feet, and the Kiriko just gets the better of it. Yeah. Um, Al Hassan, so he's actually not with Fortison anymore. I know he trained with Evolution for this one. Oh, uh, thank which, you. Which, I do that. you know how both of us feel about Fortison. Yeah. I, I think it's one of the best teams. I think it's a good move for him. Not not in the sense of this coach is better than that coach, but if you struggle with cardio, going to the mountains might be the right move. Like that actually makes sense. Um, he's he's an insane athlete. I mean, he's explosive. He's fast. He's got huge power. I mean, like you said, he did knock out Nico Price. Um, I I said this last time when we were breaking down his skills, and I still like this. He he will grab his hands of his opponents when they're pillaring, and then just wrap his punches around that. So like if they're trying to grab like this, he'll actually pull a hand and punch around it, which I love. But that's kind of where it ends <laughs> with like what he does good. Um, he, he he sneaks in kicks in, in his in his combos. He'll throw like high kick in his combo. Uh, but he doesn't check like kicks. You mentioned himself. He comes from a judo background, and that's what they say. But like, he, and he can he he will mix in a takedown. But we usually see the takedown attempt when he got hit and he got rocked with something. That's when he suddenly wants to, to grapple. It, it's not something that he he you know sets throws a two punch combination, shoots under his opponent. Um, we we see him gra- and we also see him grappling a lot because he's terrible at it. So other guys want to grapple with him. I mean, a perfect example is uh, Jacob Malkoon. Uh, he also gassed out bad in, um, you know, you talk about his his return to the UFC after that, uh, you know, the allegations that was proven false against him. Uh, but, you know, he had a big time gap there. Uh, he's gone 0-3. The Lazez and the Malkoon fights, he gassed out in both of those. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree what you said, like 185 might not be the right move for him. I'm gonna disagree in the sense of like what I, there's nothing else he could do. Like he was missing 170, so he really had no choice. And like everything else was going wrong. Like this, like one of those ones, like throw throw it up against the wall and see what sticks, kind of thing. I kind of feel like that's what's going on here. Um, he was knocked out by KS Williams. So you wonder how much can his chin take moving up weight class? Like I see all the negatives in it, but maybe if he has a little extra water in his system, you know, going to the mountains having more water in them. Maybe he won't gas out. He won't, he won't kill himself making weight. But one thing I got to remind people, and it seems like it's an ongoing theme when people move up in weight, they actually tend to miss weight a lot of times. And everyone's like, how could that be? You fought on a small weight class because they had a diet so much and they struggled to make this diet. They go up a weight class and they actually start getting like, Oh wow. Like I don't have to diet as much. And then they get too high. And we're just a week removed from Kelvin Gastel needing two tries to make 185. There you go. Yeah. What about uh? What about Larissa Pacheco? Oh, good grief! Missing 155. She used to fight at 135. She sure she did. Went, she had two weight classes and missed. She's now at three weight classes. Um. So move on to Cherico. You said the same. Like he's big for the weight class. He's a counter striker that uses movement well to pull his fighters into his into his power. He likes to parry punches. Uh, when coming forward, he usually uh, will kind of like whip power shots and burst at his opponent. He lacks true power. Like he's a big guy, but he's not a power 
puncher. He throws a lot of kicks, and and now people say, well, he doesn't have power. He, he he won his last fight by high kick knockout. I think that's and and yeah, that's great. That's a new tool we see of him. I think that's more of a a fluke than like when you don't when you think of guys who crack in the division, you don't think of Alessio Chigarigo. Uh He does keep his chin high, but he um, yeah he does keep his chin high. So he's a big target for for Al Hassan. Um, he is strong in the clinch, though. He can get to the clinch. He can wear you out of the clinch. He will sneak in a takedown attempt himself, but I wouldn't call him a powerful wrestler. So, prediction? So, Chericho's going to win. Everything in me says that he's going to win. He's bigger. He's a better wrestler. He's more intelligent. He's, uh, I, I shouldn't say more intelligent. He's, he's a better game plan. He's a guy who sticks to his game plan better. Um, he's, he's actually younger, which is surprising. So, everything in me says that Chericho's going to win. And, like, your argument is dead on. Like, you're absolutely right. However, I can't get pe- I can't get past the best of Al Hassan. I can't get that out of my head. I think about like the Nico Price knockout. I think about the so- Sabah Hamasi's knockouts. Like Sabah Hamasi get cracked by some really. Um, Paul Daly couldn't knock out Sabah Hamasi. Um, wait, wait, I think he did get a knockout at the end. I can't. I don't know, but it wasn't. But quite, it, it wasn't like it wasn't lapped quite. him twice. Like uh, yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Al Hassan, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I go back to the, the Lozes fight. And that fight was more competitive than people remember. Like, Al Hassan was winning the beginning, almost knocked out Lazez in the beginning of the fight. Remember, if you remember that, he was like unloading a huge combination and gassed himself out. So maybe if he moves up, he has more water and maybe his power increases. We've seen that in the past. I think about, um, I think about like Rumble Johnson. Like, he was the guy that everything was seen to be going wrong and it's a disaster. And and then he moved up a weight class and everything was fixed. Now, Al Hassan is, is in a, you know, further along in his career than Rumble Johnson, like he did it much later in life. So it, it is definitely going against my own better judgment. And I said off air, like, I know I'm getting this one wrong, but screw it. I'm going with Al Haas in my first round knockout. This is my offset special. Tell me how, tell me how much of an idiot I am. Hey, all I know is that we finally are disagreeing on some fights and it's the Alvi and Terman fight and the Kiriko and Al Hassan fights. So it'll make for some lively discussion on the post on the post show recap. Make make sure you don't miss that one, folks. I just hope I don't go 0 and 2 on those. Like I hope we go one and one. <laughs> the UFC Vegas 35 main card begins with a middleweight matchup between Mahmoud Muradov and Gerald Mearshart. Uh Muradov, the 31-year-old Uzbekistani fighting out of the Czech Republic is 25 and 6 overall. He is a perfect uh, 3-0 and since joining the UFC back in late 2019. He has beaten uh, Alessio DiCirico, Trevor Smith, and most recently uh, back at UFC 257 in January, Andrew Sanchez, uh, whom he knocked out uh, partway through the third round with a flying knee and some follow-up ground strikes. Uh, he'll be taking on Mearshart. The 33-year-old uh, Rufus Sport product is 32-14 and overall. He is 7-6 and in the UFC. He won his last outing, uh, choking out Bartosz Fabinski at uh, UFC on ESPN Whitaker versus Gastelum back in April. That ended a two-fight uh, losing streak for him. Uh, he got knocked out by Kamzat Shemaev and Ian Heinish in a combined about 90 seconds of cage time. Uh, so he did put this, you know, put a stop to the bleeding there with the win over Fabinski. Nonetheless, Mearshart is easily the biggest underdog on this card. Uh, he is plus 450. If you want to lay some coin on Muradov, it's going to be at minus 600 odds. Uh, Keith, I mean, tell me, tell me about this fight. Tell me who wins and how. 
All right, so let's talk about Gerard Mershad. So Mershad is never going to wow you. Like, you're never going to be like, wow. Like, see what Gerard Mershad just did. But he he doesn't have a major hole in his game. When you really look at him, like, he's well-rounded. He's, he's like the definition of gritty, crafty veteran. He's a terrible defensive wrestler, but he has 24 submission wins on his career and got a guillotine in his last fight. Can get a sub in pretty much every position. I am a little worried about his chin as he was really knocked out by Ian Heinish and uh, Shemayev in back-to-back fights. But despite that, he came back and, and got a win in a fight that he was an underdog. Now, move over to Murdoff. He's the complete opposite. He's he'll wild all the time. He's crazy athletic. He's elusive. He's lots of movement, good footwork, good head movement, uses feints well, switches stances, can fight in both stances. He hangs his hands low, but he does that to get you to kind of overextend for his counter strike, so he can land on you. Beautiful jab. I, I love his crushing overhand right. Goes to the body. Got crushing power. Uh, he'll excite you with a flying knee or spinning attack. Um, solid takedown defense. Not much of an offensive grappling, but uh, that's because he just got style on the feet. So I've been writing off Gerald Mirashuk for a really long time. But he should never be a negative. Would you say? Would you say was minus six hundred? My Meredith was a minus six hundred favorite. I'm gonna say something that's gonna really shock you, like really controversial. Israel Hassania is the best fighter in the division. Israel Hassania shouldn't be a negative six hundred favorite against Jerome Mershad. Because if he get the fight to the ground, he's so crafty he can get a submission in seconds. That's what he's. That's his game. He's he's good. Um, However, this is a horrendous stylistic matchup for him. I expect him <laughs> to, to stop takedowns, and I expect him to style and merge out on the feet. But he should still be like a negative 300 favorite. He shouldn't be a negative 600 favorite. It, it, if Murdov turns up the volume, I think he gets a KO. It's something he's been a little gun shy early in this. I mean, I like go back to like the Trevor, oh, not the Trevor Smith fight. It was the fight before that. I forget who it was, but he was one of those ones that he was clearly winning. Here it go. The Kiriko, yeah. Yeah. yeah, like he should have took him out, and he was kind of like he didn't turn up the volume. I think he turns the volume up in this one. I, th- I take Murdoff by second round uh, KO, but I'm not betting on this fight. Like if I'm betting on this fight, I'm betting a mirror shot by submission. But just for the record, for our picks, I'm taking Murdoff by second round KO. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I'm with you. Like, Mearshart, for a guy that, I mean, he already had, like, 30 fights when he got to the UFC. He's just, he's the type of super busy, busy Midwestern journeyman that you don't see often anymore. Like, he's almost a throwback that way. Just the, the kind of guy that, you know, because he came up in the Midwest, the kind of fight scene they had there. You know, yeah. he had Jeremy fights by the time. Yeah, they had just a million it, fights it by the time he was, like, 28. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> Brendan uh, Allen kind of was that guy, though. Yeah, he had, he has a like a long, you know. But, but you has, said like like fifteen years ago it was way more common. Yes, uh, but you you look at his UFC record, there there are no bad losses. Like the guys he's lost to are really good fighters, and the flip side of that is for the most part the guys he's beaten are not great. Like his win over Trevin Giles is has aged really well, but other than that, like the Eric Spiceleys and uh, you know Duran wins. You know, they're not the, the top of the, the food chain. Uh, this is just a bad, like, as you pointed out, it's it's a bad stylistic matchup. He is he is a super, like, sneaky submission threat. I mean, you can tell how sneaky because 
three of his last four submissions are technical submissions. Like where apparently the other guy didn't realize what kind of trouble he was in until he was snoring. You know, like Giles, Oscar Piahota, Bartosz Fabinski, all three of those guys choked all the way out by Mearshart. Uh, you know, Deron Wynn was the only guy that had sense to tap before he, you know, before he, 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 he snoozed. Uh, <clears throat> but I don't think he gets that against Muradov. Muradov's problem, as you pointed out, is he's a really slow starter. And, you know, he's a slow starter in the John Jones sense where he just really takes his time to to get, you know, get comfortable and really start, like, throwing volume, which is, I think, why he has, like, third-round finishes in his last couple fights. Uh, I mean, he's even more so than Jones. Like, he's o- overcautious, if anything. But that's I think that's going to keep him from falling into any anything silly, uh, you know, uh, from, from Mearshart. Like, I, I expect... He'll probably win the first round, almost certainly win the second, start rolling downhill by the third and probably get a, you know, a TKO finish in, in the third round of, of this fight. It's just, yeah, it's a, it's a bad matchup for Mearshart. Mearshart has become a more confident striker, but I don't think that necessarily worked in his favor here. Uh, he just might not be as desperate to get this thing to the ground as he would have a, a few years ago. But yeah, I've, I've got Muradov in this one uh, big. He will survive, he will advance, and he is you know definitely probably looking at a, at a ranked fighter in his next fight. Next up on the UFC on ESPN 30 main card, it is another middleweight matchup, and it is the first of three uh, fights on the card featuring veterans of the Ultimate Fighter 29, which, of course, just recently wrapped. It is Andre Petrosky versus Michael Gilmore. Uh, Petrosky, the 30-year-old, is 5-1 and one overall. Uh, he... Uh, Fought most recently, aside from his appearances on uh, Tough, of course, uh, at LFA last October, where he was uh, knocked out by Aaron Jeffrey in the second round. Uh, he'll be taking on Gilmore. The Gilmore certainly one of the stories of Tough 29. He is 6-3 and three overall. Uh, he fought most recently all the way back last January, uh, you know, taking a unanimous decision at in a WXC event. Uh, Gilmore... Stayed on as an alternate for Tough 29, basically staying in Vegas on his own dime, quit his day job, just kind of went all in on the UFC dream, and it paid off. Uh, when an alternate was needed, he was brought in. He had his little tender moment on camera where Dana White said, you know, I, I, I fucking love your attitude. Well, of course he loves your attitude your attitude you stayed in vegas on your own dime like hoping you'd get a spot on the show it didn't cost him anything like of of course he loves your fucking attitude anyway that uh he parlayed that into an appearance on tough that was over quickly as uh gilbert urbina just took him down and choked him out in like 90 seconds um and he now gets a real live ufc appearance so if nothing else you know Going all in has paid off, at least in terms of having a story to tell the kids and grandkids. Whether the experience goes on from here is anyone's guess, but uh, Gilmore is the second biggest underdog on the card. He is plus 425. Petrosky is minus 550 as the whopping favorites. Uh, I talked, you know, we talked off air before we started this, and I, you know, both of us kind of had to catch up on the tough fights. I haven't been watching this season. The thing that stuck out to me is how raw a lot of these fighters are. And, you know, obviously later seasons of Tough, as the show kind of scraped uh, out the bottom of the, the regional scenes and uh, and promotions, you know, like LFA and, and 
you know, became de facto feeder, feeder leagues and circumvented tough. We got more and more of just of these, you know, four and one, five and one, six and two fighters on the show that were not finished products. Uh, Petrovsky just screams that at me. Like, he is a powerful, explosive wrestler, but, like, his striking is so raw. It's just, like, it, it's, it only functions to get him within range so he can, like, uh, shoot a double or just bully you into the, the fence, clinch, throw you down, and then uh, beat on you until you either go out or he chokes you out. Uh, having said that, it's worked up until now. I mean, I watched his fight against uh, Aaron Jeffrey last year. Aaron Jeffrey is a guy that's going to be on the Contender Series in a couple weeks, and I think he's probably going to be in the UFC by the end of the year. And Petrosky won the first round, you know, like that – his strategy worked well enough to, to win him the first round against Jeffrey. Then Jeffrey caught him in the second round and, and knocked him out. Uh, it's going to be enough to, to handle Gilmore. Like Petrosky is so, so much stronger, so much faster. Uh, considering the ease with which uh, Urbina got Gilmore on the ground, took his back and choked him out. I, I think this is going to be over quick and ugly. It's going to be like a lot of those, like, you remember the early seasons of Tough where just about everybody would at least appear at the finale, you know? So, you, you know, you... Yeah, you, Alex Karolexis and stuff would be... It's <laughs> it's going to be one of those. Like, I, I think Petrosky probably gets this done within the first half of the first round. You know, I I expect, you know, he'll uh, shoot a, a double, get Gilmore on the ground, just get a leg ride, start pounding him. Gilmore turns his back and either gets TKO'd or, or choked out within the first half of the first round. And it's going to be one of those ones where, like, Gilmore doesn't even land a significant strike. Uh, I won't even speak to the odds here. I, I don't know. There's not a whole lot of tape on either of these guys, but this looks like a, a pretty easy win for Petrovsky to me. Yeah. How about the guy making his debut? He's like a negative 500 favorite. I, so, um, talk about this. I actually did watch every single episode. I just had to catch up on uh, on them, but I did actually watch it every single episode, and it was a pretty boring season. <laughs> like the the fights were okay, and there was no like there was no personalities on the season. Uh, like what was what was the big moment on uh, was was it when Mitch Raposa and Andre Petrowski was arguing whether Brian Ortega was a real person that like 30 second squabble like i think that was like the highlight of the season i don't know um anyways back to the actual fight um yeah petrowski's southpaw as you mentioned he's a pretty one-dimensional fighter um he he stays tight like you could see that he's he's trying to stay tight with his boxing uh but you mentioned that he just throws strikes just to close distance to set up his entries has a very like ufc 15 feel to it where where wrestlers came in, uh, Townsend Saunders would come in and throw some shots and then just shoot immediately. Like that's how I feel about uh, about this matchup. Um, he throws a lot of power shots and then follows him in. Brian Butler uh, battles. Excuse me, Brian Battle had success with him on the feet in there in the semifinals. He did hurt him to the body. Uh, but Matrosky, as you said, he's a great wrestler. He's good at driving through his double legs or switching to that single leg and running the pipe. Uh, very powerful once he gets on your hips. He do, he does waste a lot of energy by lifting his his opponents up for no reason when he can just kind of trip him back. But good good back control, uh, good top control, good back control. He looks to advanced position. He actually, even though he lost, he actually had Brian battle mounted briefly. Uh, but 
in his one career loss, he lost by submission, and then he was also submitted on tough. So that obviously uh, adds to he's he's raw in his striking, but he might have been a little raw in his in his submission defense. No, I, I he, also, he lost by submission on the show, but Jeffrey knocked him out, like he oh, attacked sorry. him with like knees and and you know in the clinch, and then. Uh, oh, why did I think yeah. he was? Well, he, he he wanted to submit. That's why. Um, I'm sorry. I apologize. Forget no. it. Um, yeah, scratch that. Whatever I said, I'm an idiot. Anyways, um, <laughs> and, but also what I didn't like is that he was really tiring. He, he showed signs before he was submitted by battle. He was starting to sl- slow down. Now move over to Gilmore. Like you said, there's not much film on him, so bear with me. I mean, um, I I love I love what, what you said. Like I love that he joined the UFC. I love that he was there. He he was fighting his dream. He wouldn't take no for answers. Like I'm staying in town in, in case I get the call. But then on the flip side, like, yeah, that's cool. It cost the UFC loves him. But, like, how about the UFC has some alternates, like, ready, like, on their own dime? Like, this, this guy shouldn't have to pay for it. You know, um, did he put himself in the front of the alternate line? Yeah, good, good for him. Uh, but, that, like, I don't know. And, and that also goes back to the guy who um, had to pull out. The guy got injured, and, and there was, like, when an MMA fighter gets injured, it's like, well, you're not chasing your dream, but like the rookie for the Jaguars yesterday got hurt his ankle or hurt his foot. And I don't, I don't really know. I'm not a doctor, but like he's out for the season. No one questions why you're not chasing your dream. But when <laughs> that UFC fighter does it, it, it's, it's like, oh man, that's part of the sport. It's a f- play with torn ligaments. Anyways, back onto this fight. Uh, Gilmore, he's 34 years old. He's moving up to middleweight, which you don't like. Uh, from what I've seen in a little bit of film study, he sits on his punches. He does have KO power. He has three knockouts on his record. Throws some good hard leg kicks. Will toss in a takedown himself, though he has some weak takedown defense. We saw that in his uh, very brief run in the Ultimate Fighter. I also saw another fight where he got taken down. Uh, he was submitted quick on the show. All three of his submission losses uh, all three of his losses are submissions, and he was su- subbed on the show, so that's not, um, you know, you can't like that moving on. So as far as prediction goes, this I'm with you. Like, this seems like a setup fight for Petrowski. I think he's just going to take down Gilmore really quickly, land some ground and pound. I was going to say submission, but I think he's probably just going to punch his way. So give me Petrowski my first round TKO from ground and pound. There you go. Two strong picks for Petrowski to get it done uh, in the de facto tough 29 finale in the first round we now head to the welterweight division for a matchup between kevin lee and daniel rodriguez lee the 28 year old uh from michigan is 18 and 6 overall he is 11 and 6 in the ufc uh however you know within the last couple years he's only fought once at welterweight uh that was a fourth round uh, submission loss to Rafael Dos Anjos in the headliner of UFC Fight Night 152 back in May of 2019. Uh, around that, he has been fighting primarily at lightweight. Uh, he's lost to Tony Ferguson, beaten Edson Barboza, who uh, appears in the headliner of this card. Uh, lost to Al Ayakinta in the rematch. Uh, handed Gregor Gillespie his first defeat with a nasty head kick. And uh, after that, uh, fought last March in the headliner of UFC Fight Night 170, where he uh, lost via third-round guillotine choke to Charles Oliveira uh, after what had been a, a pretty good back-and-forth fight, but uh, but did take the L. 
Uh, he's taking on Rodriguez. The 34-year-old Californian is 15-2 and two overall. He is a sneaky good 5-1 and one since joining the UFC uh, just uh, two and a half years ago. He is. Uh, he appeared on Dana White's Contender Series Season 3 where he won but was not immediately uh, signed, went back, won another fight, and, and got signed in early 2020. Uh, he's currently on a two-fight win streak over Mike Perry and over Preston Parsons, uh, whom he defeated back in July by first-round knockout. Those uh, put uh, his first UFC loss, which was to Nicholas Dalby, uh, in the rear view. Odds on this one are close. Uh, Lee, the slight favorite, he is minus 155. Rodriguez, plus 135. Uh, Keith, uh, who do you like in this one, and how do you see this fight playing out? Well, we just talked about the air. I, I like the matchup just in general. Like it just it's one of these when the matchmaker's made a fight that just makes sense. I, I understand where both guys are in their career. It's where they kind of meet at the perfect spot. Kevin Lee needs a guy that's just outside the rankings. Rodriguez needs to get a win over a name guy and then kind of put himself, you know, right there at the rankings where he's gonna face a ranked opponent. Uh just really good matchmaking. Now Kevin Lee he has a fought in 17 months. It's, he said he's coming off two ACL tears. We had to have, I believe, he had to have surgery. Um, just not really, not the injury you want to be coming off of. Like, so that really, um, I'm really curious what we're going to get from this guy. Uh, despite being small, like moving back up to welterweight from lightweight, he does have long arms. He he actually has the reach advantage of these two fighters, believe it or not. Uh, though he's given up, I think, like three of three or four inches in height. He, he stance switches a lot, but I think he's probably better in the orthodox stance. He's a serviceable boxer. He fights fights behind a high guard, keeps his keeps tight, uh, you know, hands in tight, striking, uh, works behind a jab. But I think he's best when he's just throwing down in the pocket. Though I think his power is overrated, overrated, and that especially now moving up to welterweight, that's even more. But like people, they talk about Kevin Lee like he's like a big banger. He really isn't. Uh, he doesn't like being pressured. He likes to be the one pressuring. Like Charles Oliveira really was breaking him with just forcing Kevin Lee backpedaling the whole fight. Uh, he does have hard kicks, good sneaky high kick. I mean, Gregor Gillespie can tell you all about that one. Uh, though he doesn't check leg kicks. He's also been rocked several times in the past. I mean, he's faced, like, superstars. Uh, Ali Quinta hurt him. Edson Arboza hurt him. Uh, and that was a fight that he was easily beating Edson Barboza. But he's a good wrestler, great hip control, good at winning scrambles, uh, good overall just grappler and submissions. I mean, go back to the Michael Kiesa fight. Like, he – I know that was a, you know, submission too early. Did he – pass out no he didn't tap but like it looked like he was about to tap out michael kiesa uh but one thing that's concerning is that he guessed out in i think like i think on three recent losses like tony ferguson was a fight that he gassed out on and no, a lot of people believe he had staff affection for that one but rda was one that he really guessed as the fight went on and charles Oliveira, yeah he got caught in submission but he was starting to fade now move over to danny rodriguez since he, he's just been so busy since Kevin Lee last fought, Danny Rodriguez has fought five times since Kevin Lee's last fight, uh, which you, you got to like that moving into this fight. Southpaw, pressure boxer, really fast hands, long jab. Uh, his left hook is his best strike. That's the punch that uh, Tim Means had no answer for. Preston Parsons had no answer for. He's got serious power in, in both of his hands. He's willing to throw down in the pocket because he just trusts his chin more than his than his opponents. That's actually a position that both guys really like to throw down. So maybe we could have like some enclosed battle between these two. 
Uh, he he's not just a striker there. Like he'll sneak in a takedown every once in a while just for two reasons: one, to win rounds, but two, just kind of keeping his opponents honest. And as I said, with um, I can't remember who we were talking about. We we're saying that oh, or JJ Aldridge, like adding wrestling to your game makes your striking even better. He's got very solid takedown defense. Everyone seems to try to take him down because of how good his striking is. He does have some subs on his record. I mean, he did catch Tim Means in this fight, which which is in a very impressive submission, get, catching a, a good veteran like Tim Means. So prediction, Lee has been very inactive. He's giving up size. He's coming off two major knee surgeries uh, or knee injuries. I, I can't remember if he had surgery or not, but two major knee injuries. Um, he's going to need to wrestle, and, and he's going to need to wrestle a lot to win. That wouldn't surprise me at all if he can do that. However... Rodriguez has shown really good takedown defense. I think Rodriguez spoils the brawls, and I actually think he might catch Kevin Lee uh, up a weight class. I actually think he might put him out. So give me Rodriguez. I'm going to say third-round takeout. Now, I know what I was going to say. If anybody who listened to the show will be like, wait a minute, Keith, wasn't like a month ago you picked Preston Parsons to beat Danny Rodriguez? Yes, I picked Preston Parsons to beat Danny Rodriguez. Okay, I'll address it. I'm an idiot. Come on. I'm not going to get too wrong. So give me Danny Rodriguez. But, yes. I pick Preston Parsons. I like the guy moving forward. I'm an idiot. Go ahead. I, I mean, I was surprised that uh, Kevin Lee is the favorite here, and I wasn't sure whether you were going to go with the uh, upset, but I definitely am smelling the the upset here. Uh, Kevin Lee is at his best, I think, when he embraces his wrestling. Like, I think his best performances have really run off of that. I, I wish he were as good a boxer as he seems to think he is. You know, like, I, I, I seriously thought that he lost the Iaquinta rematch because he just spent too long getting outboxed. Like, Iaquinta is just a better boxer than he is, even though he's smaller, even though he's not as physically strong. You know, even though Lee probably could have leaned on his wrestling more, he just didn't, and Iaquinta beat him and hurt him. Uh at welterweight, we have less of a sample size to say whether Lee's wrestling would be as effective. I mean, his only fight at welterweight within the last five years was against uh, Rafael dos Anjos, who's also a former lightweight, but also at lightweight was like a super grindy, near unstoppable wrestler, and it didn't quite translate to welterweight. So it's it, it's hard to tell. I hey, think you say, sorry to interrupt you, Ben, but in, wouldn't you say that's the 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 welterweight matchup that's favorable in Kevin Lee's wrestling, and it wasn't. Yeah, Sorry, I, I would. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if if Kevin Lee like really decided to you know embrace his his inner wrestler against Rodriguez whether he would win, but I think that would offer him his best chance too. But I don't expect him to do that. I expect him to to, to try to box with Rodriguez, and he may get uh, the better of it in in spurts, but. Like you said, he's coming off of a couple uh, major injuries, long layoffs. I mean, his health has been dicey even before that. Like you pointed out, like in the, it was right. the Ferguson fight, that he had one of the worst staph infections I've ever seen on a fighter that was like allowed to get into the cage. Like, I, I think somebody like less disturbed than Tony Ferguson might have like refused to get in the cage with him. Like, it was gross. Um, <laughs> Tony Ferguson drew, drew power from it. <laughs> <laughs> He probably did, uh, but yeah, I, I have Rodriguez here. I don't know if he finishes uh, finishes Lee. If if Lee starts to get tired, and uh, it goes to the ground like after Lee is tired, 
all bets are off. But I'm not going to call for that. But I, I will say that Rodriguez gets this done by a by a like a pretty one sided decision. I think Rodriguez is just going to be a little better than him everywhere and is going to be uh, bigger and stronger. Uh, kind of surprised that Lee is the favorite here, and uh, I don't think it's going to play out like it, you know, like the odds makers seem to think. Third from the top of the UFC Vegas 35 main card. It is a Bantamweight matchup, and it is the first of two Tough 29 finales, uh, or Tough 29 finals, uh, as it is Ricky Tercios against uh, Brady Heaston. Tercios, uh, the 28-year-old uh, Houstonian, is 10-2 and two overall. Uh, he, it feels, has been kind of orbiting the, the UFC for several years now. Uh, he appeared on the very first episode ever of Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series back in uh, 2017, where he dropped a unanimous decision to Boston Salmon. Uh, you know, went back, uh, fought once in California, but for the most part, Fury Fighting Championship right here in Texas has been his home base. Uh, he fought most recently all the way back last uh, February, uh, armbarring uh, Caleb Peterites in the waning seconds of the second round. Just kind of he had, uh, you know, he had back control and with like five seconds left, just peeled off for an armbar for the hell of it and, and got his uh, what I think might have been his first uh, career submission. Uh, he'll be taking on he stand. The 22 uh, year old from Washington State is five and one overall. Uh he last fought outside of tough all the way back last February as well uh, at an excite fight event, which I believe was near uh, his hometown of, of Spokane. Uh, odds on this one do slightly favor Tercios. He is minus 160. Heaston is uh, plus 140. <clears throat> I tell you, I, I, I mean, I'll let the cat out of the bag. I am picking Tercios to, to win this, but I think Heaston might actually have the higher ceiling as a prospect. I mean, just 22 years old, uh, definitely a plus athlete, even by the standards of the Bantamweight division. Where, I mean, there are lots of like lightning quick, explosive little guys at 135 in the UFC. Even by that standard, like he he stands out as a bit of a uh, of a plus athlete. Like athleticism that, I mean, I'm not saying he's on their level as, uh, as a fighter, but it you know makes you think of like you know, the Dillashaw and and Garbrandt types. Um, <clears throat> Tercios. Good everywhere. You know, uh, he's a solid striker. He's a very good grappler. Uh, he's listed as being at Team Alpha Male. He, that's more of like his home away from home. You know, he he's trained there for uh, for major camps and so forth. But his, his home gym is right here about 10 miles south of me. He's one of Alex Morono's guys. Um, and I'm, I'm mostly interested to... to you know, see what happens here. Cause I, I have the feeling like Houston is probably going to get Tercios on the ground and what Ricky Tercios can be willing to play jujitsu a little too much sometimes, uh, on, on the ground, uh, which if it doesn't win in the fight, it doesn't win in the round. Uh, but I think that's the, the biggest, uh, danger for him. Uh, Houston is, you know, like a fast twitch athlete, but I feel as though his striking is still pretty raw. Uh, Tercios is a pretty good kickboxer, pretty defensively sound. He doesn't have a ton of power, uh, but he's I think he's, he's going to be definitely longer than he's send and he fights long as as a striker, you know, ha has a nice long jab. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I expect Tercios to probably win a decision here, but. I, I would expect that two years from now, both these guys are probably in the UFC, and if anything, Houston is probably the one who's uh, higher up the rankings or closer to the rankings. Like I, I, I like Houston a lot as a prospect. I just think he's a really raw and really young and. Just frankly, I mean, this is a, is a guy that 
you, you said this off air. This is a fight that we, we could have seen on the contender series a, a month from now, you know, but instead, you know, a, a season of tough was built around it. But yeah, Tercios by decision. Yeah, I agree. This is a really good fight. This is I'm very intrigued by this one. Chip. I think of of the two contended series fights, this one I'm I'm definitely more interested in. I I like both guys. I think both will be good additions to the UFC. Uh, I'll start with your boy Houston's own Turkios. I gotta, I got to dress something right now. The whole um, and I don't want to upset the anybody from Houston. The whole I, I don't know. I'm not a video game person, and I apologize if this is not a video game. Don't kill me. I think it's a video game. The whole this thing. This this thing you don't think he does? Yeah, dude, um, Yeah, yeah, dude. That's not you, brother. That's Carlos Newton, like twenty five. Uh, yeah, yeah. That was a, a that Street was, Fighter that was, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Street Fighter. Okay, I thought so. I don't know if it was. I, I wasn't sure if it was video games or uh, anime, but that was a Carlos Newton thing. Yep. Like, it was. Sorry, dude. You got to get your own thing, man. That's Carlos Newton. You seem like a great dude, but. Former former champion Carlos Newman. Anyways, <laughs> shout out to shout out to Carlos Newman. I wonder what he's doing right now. Um, they seem to like, both kind of seem like to have very similar personalities. So that's maybe where he got it from. Turkios <laughs> uh, so is a fun fighter. I mean, you go you go back to his fight with Dan Argeta, his fight with uh, Ludwig. I apologize, I can't say his last name. Both fights. So both fights to get into the finals were absolute wars. He has a very weird, awkward style where he uses lots lot tons of feints. A lot of stance switches, insane output, throws like four, five, six punch combinations. He's got pretty fast hands. I love his left hook from the southpaw stance. It's probably his best strike. He mixes up up and down attacks. So it's like he'll throw like jab to the face, hook to the body, back up high again. He finishes a lot of his combination with kicks. Uh, he, he holds his ground. Like if, if your opponent tries to press forward, he doesn't really move. He like will try to beat you to the punch. He loves a brawl. Uh, he he didn't get hit by Dan Argetta with some sh- hard shots, and he just kept walking through him. Didn't stop. He has a wrestling background. Uh, he will toss in a takedown, though a lot of his takedowns come from just reaching, um, very much, very Michael Chiesa style, which is funny considering Michael Chiesa is his opponent's uh, mentor. Uh, he did get taken down, as you mentioned. Like Dan Argetta and and Ludwig both took him down on the show. Uh, on the show, I know, I know you're saying that he likes to play jiu-jitsu. On the show, he did throw up one quick uh, submission on Argento, almost almost actually got the submission. But he also showed a good get-up game on the show. Like, he was working. He didn't stop. He kept working his way back up. And he had insane cardio. Like, that's what one of both fights. Both fights were close. He just outworked those guys. Now move over to Heisen. Again, only 22 years old. You got to like that. Very aggressive. Throws he th- On the feet, he throws hard. He can be wild, though. He throws a lot of kicks. I like he's, he throws some inside uh, knees, knees up the middle. He looks to close the distance. He 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 has good entries. He tends to drop down his opponent's hips when they try to counter strike. So he'll throw, wait for you to counter. When you go to counter, he'll drop down on your on your hips and take you down. Uh, this is effective, but uh, if they're not countering back, he needs to start setting up some of his takedowns with his strikes instead of also reaching on top, heavy top pressure. Go back to the semifinals against Vince Murdoch. Easily took him down, controlled him on the ground, um, landed some ground upon. Now I know Vince Murdoch um, might have may have suffered a knee injury that might have might have helped. But back to his first fight against Josh Runninghouse, he he you know had him down on his back for long periods of time. The one thing I didn't like in the Runninghouse fight though is he slowed down. Like he dug deep in the third round. It was like it was one one heading into the third round. He dug deep, 
But that second round, he showed huge signs uh, of slowing down. It seemed like he got like a second win in the third round, and that's why he won in the fight. But he wasn't nearly as impressive. And I know Running House is a really good fighter, um, been around for a while. I mean, and so is Vince Murdoch. So he, he, he faced some really good. I actually think both guys faced some good competition to get in. This is a good fight. Um, as far as the prediction goes, I'm going to go with Houston's own, too. Uh, I, I actually think he might get taken down early. He might drop. Uh, he might drop the first round. However, I think his insane pace, his nonstop action, pressing forward, throwing strikes. I just think he's going to win the second and third round and, and start to fold Heinsohn. So give me Turcos by decision to get the UFC contracts, and Houston goes two and zero on the night. The co-main event of UFC on ESPN 30 uh, doubles as the middleweight final of the Ultimate Fighter season 29. It is Brian Battle versus uh, Gilbert Urbina, who steps in for the injured uh, Treshawn Gore. Uh, Battle, 5-1 and one, uh, going into uh, tough, was on a four-fight uh, winning streak. He won his way to the, uh, the final. He takes on uh, Urbina, uh, the man from uh, the Rio Grande Valley, Weslaco, Texas, 6-1 and one, uh, overall, and... Uh, was actually uh, he was actually beaten by Treshawn Gore pretty badly, but uh, Gore out with an injury in steps Urbina, and uh, that will determine uh, your tough twenty nine middleweight winner. Uh, Battle is the the slight favorite here. He's minus one fifty five, where you can get Urbina at plus one thirty five um, as as the the slight underdog. I've got to say, I mean, I understand why Battle is favorite. I mean, he's the guy that actually won his way to the final, even if I probably would have favored Treshawn Gore over him, whereas a lot of people's last memory of Urbina is getting run over by Gore. Uh, having said that, uh, in a vacuum, like, Urbina has faced a lot better competition than Brian Battle has. Like, Brian Battle, pr prior to Tough, faced, like, low, low-level competition, where I mean, Urbina, I mean, he lost to Sean Brady, but you know what? Everyone's lost to Sean Brady so far. <laughs> and Urbina, right. Urbina actually tagged him up a few times. Just he couldn't stop the takedown. So Brady won a, a pretty straightforward decision. You know, uh, he'd get tagged a couple times. He'd take him down and, and, and beat him up for the balance of the round. I, I didn't think it was like a miserable performance by Urbina. And then he came back and he beat uh, Angelo Trevino in, uh, in combate. And uh, Angelo Trevino is better than anybody that, that Brian Battle ha has fought. Uh, Urbina's been in there against better fighters. Uh, Battle, like, he's going to have probably the advantage in in sheer raw strength. Like, he's clearly, like, a, a powerful uh, athlete. But, you know, Urbina's going to be the taller guy. He's going to have a uh, longer reach. To me, I mean, the, the question really is, you know, uh, will, you know, will Battle's uh, cardio hold up? Will he be able to get uh, Urbina down if he wants to? Uh, versus, you know, like, is Urbina going to be able to keep the reins? Is he going to be able to, to like, use his footwork, use uh, kicks and jabs to keep battle on, on the outside and just kind of win rounds? I, I don't see either guy probably getting a finish here, but despite the fact that he's the slight underdog, I'm leaning towards Urbina just as the, the I think he's the, the more proven fighter by the very low standards. Like, I, we talked before about how raw some of these guys are uh, coming into this season of tough. Uh, but it's not a confident pick, but uh, I'm going to go with uh, Gilbert Urbina to win uh, two rounds out of three and be your tough 29 middleweight winner. 
Yeah. Um, so you're picking that'd be three and zero for Texas, right? That would be. Yeah. No. <laughs> While you was talking about Arbino winning, like the the guy who just lost winning, I, I was thinking like if Bellator had like their own version of tough. They would definitely be like the alternate loss that came back in the competition that would win. Like it would have to be. Um, yeah, so I'm actually intrigued by this match. Like I, I agree with you. I, I think it's a pretty uh, competitive fight. I'll start with Battle. Uh, things I like about Battle is just high volume. Like he just stays busy. Uh, I like that he just touches. He doesn't really unload unless he sees a clear opening. I like that he has a lot of variety, mixes punches and kicks together well. Uh, throws a lot of kicks. He likes teep kicks down the middle. Defensively, he's got some things I don't like. He stands a little tall. Uh, he does roll with his punches, which I like, so he doesn't get hit very clean because um, he really understands that part of the game. Uh, but he doesn't like pressure. He wants to kind of work from space. Clinch striking uh, was really good, though, against Andre Bukowski, especially when he was landing a knee and landing knees in close, landing knees to the body, landing knees to the head, framing really well. I thought he showed really good takedown defense against Andre Petrowski. Um, and, and just to, I never saw the, I never saw Brian Battle until until uh, tough. So this mostly all the fights I watched was the tough fights. Uh, showed really good balance when when Petrowski had his leg, uh, and when he was taken out, he worked back to his feet. Uh, when Petrowski had his back, he stayed very composed. He didn't panic, uh, and I like that he has three career subs uh, on his record. He also has that that sub against Petrowski in the show. Uh, Obrina, I gotta like that he's only. 25 years old, well-rounded. Like you said, he's faced Sean Brady, who, I mean, I'm probably leading the Sean Brady bandwagon. I know you're on the Sean Brady bandwagon. We're both pretty high on the guy. Um, being a, he, he, he switches his stance a lot. Uh, good output. He's, he's pretty fast. Lots of kicks. So a lot of things I like offensively. Like he, we remember him getting knocked out by... Uh, Treshawn Gore, he landed a lot of shots on Gore, to his credit. Um, but he's got some holes defensively. He stands up way too tall. He drops his hands, throws a lot of naked leg kicks. He was hurt by Gore like four or five times, like hurt bad before he was put out. Uh, he is a grappler, though. He's a good grappler. He showed that on the show. Um, he does have two career submission wins. He also submitted um, Michael Gilman on, on in the open round. As far as prediction, I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you. I'm gonna go with Battle. I don't think Abina uh, will be able to get him down, and I think Battle would just be busier with his output and his kicks. Uh, I I like him on the feet. It just honestly, and that's gonna sound like really terrible reasoning, but just give me the guy that I didn't just watch get knocked out. So um, give me Battle. That said, uh, I think you said it. Did you say that you would have picked Gore to win? Yeah, I would have picked Gore over uh, Battle probably. Yeah, I, so. When I was doing team study, I already knew that Gore was out, so I wasn't, like, digging in, really. Like, a lot of times when I'm watching a fight, like, when I was watching him and Gore, I was really focusing on Arbina, what he was doing, not necessarily what was Gore was doing. So I don't want to say, like, I would have took Gore, but Gore looked special. Like, he looked really good out there. So I probably would have picked Gore, too. There you go. Well, I imagine we'll see uh, Gore in the UFC yeah, sometime between now and the end of the year, and, uh, you know, both of us seem to think he, he has a, a little bit of a higher ceiling on him. Yeah, I'd be really surprised if he's a guy that ha- like has to go through the contender series or something like that. I'm, I'm assuming he's just going to be. You'll see him on uh, on a prelim card soon. Yep. With that, we arrive at the main event of UFC on ESPN 30. It is a featherweight matchup between Edson Barboza and Giga Chikadze. Barboza, the 35-year-old Brazilian, 
is 22 and 9 overall. He is 16 and 9 in the UFC. He is 2 and 1 since dropping uh, to featherweight a little over a year ago. Uh, he dropped a split decision to Dan Ige in his uh, featherweight debut. Came back with uh, wins over Makwan Amerikani and most recently uh, back in May at UFC 262, uh, Shane Burgos, whom he sniped uh, in, in the third round with uh, a delayed reaction knockout punch. Uh, kind of an interesting highlight real moment for him. Uh, he'll be taking on Chikadze, the 33-year-old Georgian by way of Southern California, is 13-2 and overall. He is a sterling 6-0 since joining the UFC back in uh, late 2019. He fought most recently back in May at UFC on ESPN, Reyes versus Prohaska, where he put away uh, the tough veteran Cub Swanson with his fabled giga kick, a kick to the liver and uh, follow-up punches in just 63 seconds. Odds on this one, extremely close. Uh, it began as a near pick at the beginning of fight week. It has moved slightly in the direction of Barboza to the point where, as of late Wednesday night, you can get uh, Chikadze uh, at even money as the, the slightest of underdogs, where Barboza is out there around minus 115 as the very slight favorite. Uh, I understand why this is as close as it is on the odds. Like, Chikadze has dazzled in his last couple of performances, Obviously, he's, you know, he's on an eight-fight win streak, six of those in the UFC. Uh, the UFC is beginning to put its promotional muscle behind him. You know, he's kind of a, uh, yeah, he's a bit of a charismatic figure. You know, he's, he's, he's got that little bit of cockiness to him. And when you pair that with some highlight reel finishes, like, you know, it's easy for the promotion to kind of start ringing the gong that, like, this is one of our new stars. Having said that, the difference in strength of schedule between him and Edson Barboza is the Grand Canyon wide. I mean, it was a fantastic finish of Cub Swanson. Like, that's only the second time in his entire career, I believe, that Cub Swanson has been stopped with strikes. First was Jose Aldo. That puts you in pretty good uh, company. But we're talking about a 37-year-old Cub Swanson who was something like, you know, two and five in his last seven or something like that on the tail end of his career. In comparison, Edson Barboza has been fighting more or less nothing but ranked people in probably the UFC's two toughest divisions for like the last seven years straight. Uh, like the the people on Edson Barboza's highlight reel are almost as impressive as the highlights th themselves. Uh, I'm not saying Chikaze can't beat him. Obviously he can. He's, you know, he might even be a better kickboxer just in a vacuum. But it's, it's going to be a huge step up for Chikaze. Like... The thing about Barboza has never been that he's unbeatable. Like, he's lost fights almost from the beginning. You know, he's 16-9 and nine in the UFC. That's, that's a good, not great record. But the thing about Barboza is he debuted in the UFC when he was like 22 or 23 years old. He was 6-0. Yeah, he was 6-0. He, he it was like less than two years from his pro debut. The guy has learned how to fight in the octagon. And... Even now, he's 35 years old. That's not normally a time when guys in those lighter weights thrive. It's definitely not a time that people usually drop a weight class with good results. But still, the ways to beat Edson Barboza, for the most part, you can out-wrestle him. That's always been available. Like, his first career loss was to Jamie Varner, and Varner just took him down and beat him up. Or you can pressure him, put him on his back foot, crowd him, not give him the space and the 
the time to uncork the big, long strikes that he wants to throw. Michael Johnson was the first one to do it. Tony Ferguson did it. You know, uh, Justin Gaethje knocked him out. But that's it. Like, the people who have just flat-out outstruck Edson Barboza without the threat of the takedown backing it up are very few and very far between even now. And I think Barboza is actually even more competitive than it looks like on paper. Like, he lost a split decision to Dan Ige that 80% of the media, including you and me both, gave to Barboza. His last fight at lightweight, the one that made him drop, was a split decision to Paul Felder that 80% of the people in the media, including you and me, gave to Barboza. Like, really, you can argue that in the last five years, he should only have losses to Khabib Nurmagomedov, Kevin Lee, and Justin Gaethje. Like, and if that's how that plays out, he probably doesn't even drop from lightweight. Like, I don't know, like, you, are, you, you will be much better at the X's and O's of a kickboxing match than I will. But just based on the, the, the people that Barboza has been doing these things to, like Dan Hooker and Shane Burgos are both so much better than anybody that Chikadze has beaten. Uh, and, I mean, with Chikadze, we're talking about a guy who barely beat Jamal Emmers two years ago. And Chikadze is not a particularly different fighter. But if, if, if you're telling me that Chikadze is going to be the first guy in who knows how long to just flat out outstrikes Edson Barboza... And it's not because Barboza is afraid of the takedown. Like, you're going to have to give me a lot better than like minus 115 odds on that. Because Barboza, it's not even that you can just crowd him anymore. Like Shane Burgos put pressure on him and Barboza responded well. He gave, you know, he gave ground. He sniped. He took the shots that Burgos would give him. Like he wasn't just trying to line up this wheel kick that takes three seconds to throw because Burgos was coming at him. So he just moved, moved, moved. Hit, 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 sniped him, and knocked Shane Burgos out. Uh, give me Edson Barboza in this. And I have the feeling that this is going to be one of those ones where once they start fighting, Barboza's going to make it look surprisingly easy. Give me Edson Barboza uh, by decision. Wow. And this, this, this could be a finish because if Chikadze if gets tired, and he has gotten tired even in just three-round fights, uh, like... This this could turn into a route, but I'm gonna but give me Edson Barboza to win probably four rounds. Yeah, wow, you're 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 way more confident in your pick than I'm about to be. Uh, I I love when you talked about like strength of schedule. I think of like two college football teams, like one team is playing Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, and Notre Dame or something, and the other team is playing Pawtucket School of Trucking. Yeah, Rhode Island, uh, <laughs> East. Tallahassee University, <laughs> Montana Tech, St. Bar- Bartholomew Catholic, you know. Uh, yeah, so you said I'd be good at, like, technically breaking them down. Like, not, these guys are a different level of striking than, than I can really break down. Like, uh, Edson Barbosa, obviously he's a, a Muay Thai striker. It, so usually the way I like to break down fighters, I kind of – I tend to do, like, offensive hands like your defensive styling and then like kicks like i kind of like cook kicks elbows knees i kind of think of those like attributes added on to your striking and then i move on to your grappling um barbosa I, I always like to do him opposite i like to do because everything's about, about his kicks so it starts off with his kicks i mean he's got legendary kicks when when you think of sm barbosa the first thing everyone thinks of is he kicks he, he kicks everywhere especially leg kicks especially body kicks he's a he's a builder because his damage just taken over. So he lets his damage do, like, he just, he, he, all right, I'm going to kick you. 
And I'm going to kick you again. I'm going to kick you. You're going to slowly slow down. And when I start seeing that damage start taking over, I start seeing your legs get heavy. I start seeing your punches come at me a little slower. Then he kind of t- he, then he start, really starts building up. A perfect example of that is is the uh, Dan Hooker fight. Like think about how close the Dan Hooker fight was in the early rounds, and then like how bad it got as the rounds got deeper and deeper on. But one thing I've, I've said this last time when we broke down Edson Barroso, I'll say it again. His boxing gets overshadowed by his kicks. He's got really good hands. He's got fast hands. He's got a busy jab. He throws powerful hooks to the body. I mean, his left hook to the body is one of the best strikes in all of MMA. Uh, he's got, I would say, plus power. Uh, his straight right flattened Americana. Like I just want to, we can go back, way back in the fights. But I mean, the recent fights, his straight right flattened Americana twice. He knocked Burgos out in his last fight with a right hook. Uh, I like his takedown defense. Uh, I think it's it's better than people give it credit. However, he does struggle with his get up game. But does he like? He struggled getting up with Habib Nurmagomedov on top of him and Kevin Lee, like to to you know Habib, arguably the greatest grappler in MMA history, and Kevin Lee, who we were just talking about a little while ago, of you know how good his grappling is. I mean, a guy that that was almost took out Michael Castle by submission. Uh, he he has faded late, but he's been in so many wars that it. I, I think it's just one of those things, like when you fight the guys that he fight that's why he he fades uh though he has taken damage and one thing you said is that you can out pressure like if you pressure him crowd his kicks i mean you saw he he was like running at him which mm-hmm. which was like insane to see like wow you're running right at uh at some of and that was simply just get past his kicking range why like go through it slowly let me just get by it as fast as I, they were like a uh, a video game where uh, I, pl- I play this video game with my son and these balls roll and we have to jump over and I just I just run and jump over as fast as I can instead of trying to do it slowly. Uh, now, Jakate, obviously he's a glory kickboxer. He's light on his feet. He's he's a counter striker, throws a lot of feints. What I love with his feints is he's not a guy who just feints with his hands. He feints with his feet. He feints with his shoulders. He feints with his hips. He's so calm. He's so poised. He sees everything. He can strike from both stances. Very fast hand. He got a stinging jab. He's he's sniper with his power shots. His overhand right is deadly. I talked about last time. He kind of throws it from two angles. He throws like a little short one where he almost wants you to block it, and then he throws this whipping one that he goes over the top of you. So you kind of see it coming the first time, and he wants you to block it. And then the second one comes from a different speed and a different angle. And that's just something that that. Um, Guys in that level just do, and that I'm lucky that I can see little things like that. And they do other things that I don't, I just, I can't see. Um, great body kicks. I mean, we saw that in his in his last fight. And supposedly he's been improving his grappling. That is still obviously unknown. I don't know who the better striker is. I'm just being dead honest. If this was a strictly a kickboxing match, it, it very well could be Chikasi. It probably would be Chikasi. If you really break down their, their level of success in kickboxing, it would be Chikasi. But this is MMA. And MMA striking is different than kickboxing. That's why we've seen kickboxers, Gokan Saki, get knocked out with a single punch by uh, Cleo Roundtree because it, it, it's different. I I really felt thoughts on who I was going to pick. And I can't get past two fights, two recent fights. The first fight I keep can't get past is the Justin Gaethje fight against Edson Barbosa because if we broke down them in a technical sense, just said, who's more technically sound – Justin Gaethje or Edson Barbosa, we don't say Edson Barbosa were technically sound. But 
Justin Gaethje had no problem just basically pressuring him and knocking Barbos out. Well, if, what and I know Jacasi doesn't fight this way. He doesn't. He's not really. He's more of a sit back kind of set you up very um, snipe you. But what says that Jacasi just doesn't bum rush? He's seen other guys do it and and really pressure Barbosa and get a knock on himself. So that's the issue I have with Barbosa. Then I think about the Chikotse's fight with Jamal Emers, and I say, like, how much he struggled with him. Like, he won a split decision against Jamal Emers. Now that's much different, but, like, Edson Barbosa, it, we like Jamal Emers. We both picked him to win. Yeah. Edson Barbosa at this point in the career. And I, I know this was a little while ago for Chikotse, but Edson Barbosa is a much bigger threat than Jamal Emers is. So... And then, so I kind of was torn. I really, I, I mean, seriously, I, I'm, re- I'm still struggling to pick a winner of this because I, anything can happen. If, if you told me Edson Barbosa, you know, spinning whale kicks him into oblivion, that like wouldn't shock me. If you told me that it, this is the passing of the torch and Chikasi crushes Edson Barbosa with a body shot or, or a left hook or whatever, like that wouldn't surprise me either. So then I started thinking about this. You mentioned the wrestling, and you said. Uh, you know, your way to beat Edson Barbosa is to wrestle him. And I go, what if it's the opposite? What if Barbosa goes, yeah, everyone's expecting a a high-level kickboxing match. And he goes, I'm the better grappler. And he plays a safe and he decides to wrestle. I mean, we've seen – I mean, I think about Michael Page and, and Paul Daly. I was there live in Mohican Sun, and everyone expected these guys to throw down in this epic battle. And suddenly Paul Daly, who complains about people wrestling him, suddenly turned into a wrestler. What if – Edson Barbosa is like, hey, I've been in these wars. Why, why do that? Why not just wrestle? I'm, I'm getting up there. I, I want to get a UFC title, a fight for a title one day. What if a, this is an option? And so when I'm stuck, give me the guy that actually has two avenues for victory, the guy who could win the striking or the grappling. I don't think Chikasi could win the grappling. So I'm with you. I'm going to take Barbosa. I'm not expecting Barbosa to grapple. I'm, I, I'm actually expecting this could be an epic war. And... Um, I think you had a better technical breakdown than I did because you seem very confident. Barbosa. I'm taking Barbosa. I'm taking it by decision. I think it's obviously the no-brainer fight of the night pick. Uh, give me Edson Barbosa by decision. There you go. Uh, two picks for uh, Edson Barbosa to get it done against Giga Chikadze in Saturday's main event. Uh, but definitely some uh, some uh, some doubt, some trepidation there. Uh, can't wait to talk about this one afterwards. And speaking of which, uh, we're there. Uh, that was the Sherdog radio preview for UFC Man. on ESPN. Sorry, yes. we we skipped the fight. Uh oh, what we skip? Well, you gotta put. You gotta give me a prediction. Who's gonna win? Jake Paul and Tyrone Woodley. <sighs> Dude, obviously, I don't think of MMA fighters as like representing MMA <laughs> as they go into these like spectacle fights. Uh, I but considering that. Considering that Tyron Woodley's problem in MMA was that he didn't throw enough punches, like I have the feeling he's just gonna like lose a depressing decision to to Jake Paul, and I'm just gonna hide like under my blankets for like a week and a half. Yeah. <laughs> I can just not come out. It's gonna be embarrassing, if I which told, is a shame. If I told you the amount of people that messaged me about this fight, but like hey, who's gonna win? And, I, and my answer was like I don't care. <laughs> so that's my answer. I don't care. Yeah. Like obviously I care. I'm rooted for Tyron Woodley, but sure. I, I I won't even give you a prediction. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. There you go. I, just, I, just, I, just, I, I figured someone in the comments would ask us who they're going to win. So Ben Ben is taking Jake Paul. I'm taking nobody. Uh, I, 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 would, I would be happy if nobody won. 
But yeah, all right. Uh, you know, that's it for the uh, Sure Dog Radio preview for UFC on ESPN 30, Barboza versus Chikadze. Uh, make sure to enjoy the fights and uh, come join us for the live recap uh, right after the main event. You can either go to the SureDog.com front page and find a link or just go to, straight to the SureDog YouTube page where you are hopefully already a subscriber. And uh, I and a special guest will be uh, breaking down uh, all the action. We'll react. We'll talk about what's next. And obviously, we'll take your questions and uh, take your hot takes on everything that goes on. For uh, Keith Schillen, I've been Ben Duffy. Thanks for listening.